And again, we get to the end of the program and we talk with a couple of friends about some good stories uh, that aren't necessarily the traditional technical items. I refer, of course, to Quirky News. And on the line, I have Errol Smith. G'day, Errol. G'day, David. And Brian Smith. G'day, Brian. G'day, David. Now, gentlemen, toilets and travel. The old toilet serving the main concourse area at Flinders Street Station in Melbourne was the most complained about on the Melbourne's train network. And our public transport Victoria said that they're now upgrading those in response to passenger feedback as part of a $100 million Flinders Street upgrade. Now, look, I, I, there's a great link between toilets and accessibility and being able to get around. What was the first major liberation to ladies to be able to get out and walk through the streets and so on was the fact that there were public toilets. It's much easier for men in many ways, but uh, the ladies were given to do it. So quality of toilets, as we know, toilets on a station have always been an important thing. Brian, public transport, people seem to associate that was a place where they could go and relieve themselves. Indeed. Um, But of course, these days, increasingly, um, public like stations and places like that are, are cutting down on the amount of public toilets they have because people use them for other purposes or, you know, they, they cause a maintenance nightmare. Uh, so they're often locked or um, or closed down. Some of the great public toilets that existed around Wynyard, the big underground ones, are no longer. So, yeah, it can be hard to find them, but they are crucial. Got to say, though, when they were expanding these uh, toilets, um, I noted the story says that one passenger was using the toilets every six seconds during the peak. So, look, if they resolve whatever problem that passenger had, <laughs> they could uh, probably reduce the number of toilets they needed. I did like um, the, the, the best line from the story was that this will be a big relief to passengers. Ah, uh, boom, boom. Nothing like a pun, is there? You know, a mate of mine, of course, did his master's degree on the d- design of toilets, the structure, not the actual toilet itself, but the structure on railway stations. And you can tell the age of a railway station totally on the design of the structure around the toilets. Now, become a little bit more generic but uh, you remember it used to be a time where for the ladies to get to the toilet they had to go through the waiting room oh yeah now he he had a thing that he reckons he was trying to get people to visit museums in railway you know how they change old railway stations into museums or Mm. or even just keep them as a railway station but also do a bit of museum his way he reckoned to do it to promote and, and do that they were clean twice a day and mm. it would be just such a desirable thing to go to that uh, it would encourage people to do that. Well, well if they're spending it. spending $100 million on it, so you'd think they'd be pretty pretty bloody clean. Um, I was wondering how much credit do you need on your my key to use them? <laughs> Spend a penny, I think uh, it is, Errol. Maybe the, maybe the first stop is free. They're actually saying they're increasing the capacity. Brian, this is almost a traffic engineering. Ah, that's true. You'd certainly have to work out your demands and your level of service and uh, delays. Delays can be quite important in toilets. So, yeah, it'd be very important. At a national conference one time, at that time I was working in data collection and I said our organisation had done all sorts of surveys, people and traffic and so on. In fact, we'd even done one toilet survey, although I did note it was just the capacity of uh, the throughput of... uh, Throughput. It wasn't a duration survey, I guess is what I was trying to say. 
occupancy. <laughs> but but we could have done a duration survey. It's just that we would have had to pay our surveyors a lot more money. Yeah, that's right. And have them just standing around in the toilet. They're more likely to be arrested. Yes. Errol. People going in and out of the, the, the loos just didn't notice the little rubber tubes across the, uh, the door. Um, and the, 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 apparently the trains at the platform number two, they always took longer. Errol, you have a story for us. Well, David, even if you've never owned a smartphone, you've probably heard of Pokemon Go, a game where people wander the streets trying to catch virtual creatures seen through the augmented reality lens of their phone's camera and screen. Unfortunately, some are choosing to wander those streets in their cars. Uh, This type of behaviour has prompted VicRoads to put Don't Drive and Pokemon on its many electronic signs around Melbourne. And the party's really over for many Sydney siders, with three of the busiest sites for Pokemon Go players to visit being permanently closed due to traffic and safety fears in the roads area. A friend of mine uh, lives near there, and um, he said our residents have been waterbombing the people playing this game in the street because they're just so pissed off with them. Do you have an accident on Victoria Roads while you're reading the sign that said don't play Pokemon and, and would you see the sign if you're playing Pokemon if you're playing Pokemon that's right I like the water bombing it's what's Newton's third rule of motion third principle of motion to every action that uh, there's an equal and opposite reaction and I, I think mm. this sort of Pokemon craze is undoubtedly going to get people who are annoyed by it well mm. I think that if, if uh, you know you could capture Pokemon on public transport, it would perhaps not be as big a problem. Well, wouldn't it be a way to encourage them? I take your point, Brian. There should be one at each, you know, bus stop and mm. and tram stop and train yeah. stop. If we were more imaginative about it, instead of at a park somewhere where people live. It'd be a case that you could only get it while you're on a bus or a train. And you, perhaps you could even take this further, Brian. We've talked about the idea of encouraging behavioural change. Get it so that you could only get it in the off-peak. Oh, yes. That's a yeah, mm. good idea. So you don't have everyone choking up the, the trains. I think the fact that if you can drive around the car, and I've got to say the 15-year-old has encouraged me to do this, of which I've resisted, uh, what is it that we need for a, a challenge, those? I mean, we've always had these scavenger hunts, lolly hunts, Easter eggs. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty much what this game could be summed up as, is a sort of a scavenger hut for people. Maybe you need the Pokemon to be in real time, that if you're about to hit the pedestrian, it sort of says, hey, look up. <laughs> it wants you. Do you still get points if you put your phone in the car and send it around as an autonomous vehicle? Ah, that's an ideal. Ah. That's mm. a great idea. Yeah, I don't think so. It's interactive. Ah. Autonomous car can do everything. It's a bit like when your your child gets a delivery service, you know, pamphlets or whatever. The parents end up doing it quite a lot, I think. Uh, the only other thing I might say is, can you sue Pokemon if you have an accident? Oh, that's a good question, isn't it? Yeah, it would change the world, wouldn't it? Now, gentlemen, uh, predicting the future, Frederick Lindemann. He was an advisor to Winston Churchill. And at the end of the war, the Second World War, the 1947, a few years after, Britain's rail networks were nationalised. And uh, by 1955, they thought they would need, in today's terms, about £31 billion, 60 or more billion Australian dollars, to repair the network. And the reason why Churchill and others had let it run down was this guy, Frederick Lindemann, who, who said... 
Well, we won't need them because we will all be flying around in helicopters. Gentlemen, there's been a number of predictions to do with transport. A lot of them are wrong. Surely this must be one of the big ones. Mm. And, and of course, the big issue here is that they make major investment decisions on that basis. Mm. He was a physicist. They're making decisions on technology that didn't exist. Yes. Essentially. Yeah, the future. (laughs) In the future, everything will be. Science will work it out, mate. There won't be a problem. I think they, they, he was actually aiming a, a bit too high um, and just bring it down a notch. You, would, you, of course, had the, you know, the monorail, which is, of course, that's the future. <laughs> monorail, monorail, monorail. Yeah. Yeah, they didn't predict that. Our predictions of the future often aren't as adventurous as that. I mean, even the Jets, Jetsons, they were flying, but they were all in corridors. They had polluting vehicles. They had human control. It was really like traffic just up in the air with no trees. I think that's that's probably what they were sort of predicting at the time. And just well, they, they always structured around what they, I guess it's formed by their existing transport network, isn't it? Hmm. So, you know, the, the future versions always look like, you know, the old version with some changes, a few changes, you know, like a, yeah. like a, a big Cadillac but with a bubble roof. Uh, and no wheels, you know. So it is It is a bit difficult, I guess, culturally we're shaped all our views of the future. Most of the problems with projections are that we, as, as hubris, we think we know it all now. As I said, I think the other day, I was at a conference or in a meeting where a guy stood up and said we should have a 100-year projection. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which makes it sort of somewhat vain to think that we know exactly what it's going to be like in the future. This guy, Mr. Linderman, he thought that radar was a myth and he believed that the world should be led by supermen and supermen and served by helots. <laughs> right, yes. Yeah, I, th- I think he was, he was doing a good job of selling snake oil to, to yeah, Churchill. It's a, bit of a, a class thing, I guess, was pretty strong in those days. Oh, an- enormously strong. He was appointed professor of experimental philosophy brackets physics at the University of Oxford and uh, director of the uh, Claridon Laboratory. It was certainly experimental. <laughs> it's experimenting with the reality. But he, he, he was a man of absolute beliefs. I read a quote from Nitschke the other day who said, certainty can be worse than lies. That you, you believe you've got no room for change and I think this was a classic example. Yes, uh, apparently the Emperor's new clothes look especially good on him while he's flying in his invisible helicopter. (laughs) Brian, a story of a more colourful approach. Yes, yes, David, this is a lovely story about um, sort of updating uh, Mumbai's taxis. And uh, a couple of um, designers had had, um, come up with the idea called Taxi Fabric, and and they were interested in the the kind of industrial-grade fabrics that were... um, being used in in the taxis of Mumbai, the the classic black and yellow taxis that uh, are a bit of an iconic symbol of life in India, uh, and, and they they sort of worked out that they could actually make more interesting interiors by themselves. So they were designers and illustrators. They digitally created some patterns and started making graphics and prints. It took a couple of years, but they've started fitting out some of the taxis with these very bright and colourful interiors featuring. Pardon me, images of by uh, up and coming in Indian designers and artists, 
and effectively the, the taxi drivers also have a bit of a say in uh, what they'd like inside. So there's quite a few of them now and they're having uh, quite a big impact. So from about last year they started introducing them. Initially the drivers kind of thought it was a bit of a free makeover but they've, they've uh, found it's much more engaging for the passengers. And so um, kids are sort of refusing to get out of taxis and, and people are saying that this will be their most memorable ride and they're taking photographs with the drivers so each of the designs for the taxis um, is a collaboration between the the designers and, and the drivers and they're all slightly different so there's flowers there's sort of industrial technology and and they're even moving on to rickshaws now and they'll uh, soon expand into Delhi and Bangalore so it's a lovely idea I think to to make taxis more interesting and um, and uh, individualistic one of them looks almost a bit like the Indian version of the Sistine Chapel in a way. It's got... Yeah, mm. Yes. Yeah, the roof of the taxis all, all painted with this uh, yeah, wondrous imagery. I hope they can get it to work with durable materials, particularly as we move towards shared cars. Uh, whether you, you know, we might have to go back to seats that are like shower curtain material, but you know, to do it colourfully and, and, and well... Because there's nothing worse than a faded mural, isn't there? It, mm. They are using sort of industrial fabrics. Mm. I mean, they're essentially, you know, printed through a giant inkjet printer, but using, uh, you know, proper dyes and things. Yeah, it's, I think it's but, lovely. Um, it's just that, yeah, it's, it, makes, it's, it makes the taxis genuinely interesting to be in, I think, you know, compared to the, the bland original fabric seats that you tend to get in. Clear plastic seats. Yes, and, the, and that ugly plastic trout around the driver the beads can sometimes have colors on them brian you would think about that in terms of uh, the <laughs> taxi drivers beaded seat covers <laughs> cars are usually made to look good from the outside and this is rather turning that all around yeah which i think is rather nice yes well the taxis still still look pretty ordinary from the outside although apparently one of the most common fabric patterns to be seen in the taxi system is still psychedelic yawn <laughs> <laughs> that's got the full uh, sort of multifunctional multi uh, uh, sensory experience that one <laughs> alright gentlemen always good to talk to you thank you very much for your time thanks David. David that's Brian Smith and Errol Smith and we were talking some unusual stories to do with motoring particularly but also projecting into the future as well